Um, I, I'm going to just kind of pick on us a little bit. Is that okay? Um, first of all, I got to pull this up here because look, these are awfully comfortable. <sighs> I don't know if you've sat in, in these green ones before, but these green ones are super comfortable. Right, uh, they're definitely more comfortable than the green ones in the hall, and I think they're more comfortable than the red ones. No offense if you're sitting in a red one, but these green ones are super comfortable. And so um, I'm just going to pick on us a little bit because um, all too often we kind of think about our lives with Jesus or our life uh, in the church with this posture. Um, and and this is just kind of quite frankly, right, the wrong posture. <laughs> and this isn't the posture that we see in Isaiah chapter 6. Um, it's not the posture that we see really throughout Scripture. And so we kind of have to wrestle a little bit with how come this is our posture today when it's not the posture that we see in Scripture? Um, pretty often, um, we tend to uh, uh, have this kind of posture where we're comfortable sitting, um, sometimes we even kind of fold in on ourselves kind of like this. And we're not praying. We're just folded in on ourselves, uh, focused on who I am and what I've got going on. Um, sometimes we might get closer to the right posture and we might be standing, but then we sort of take the wrong posture and we do one of these. We put our hands on our hips, maybe in disgust about something that is out there or even something uh, that is disgusting within us. And so what we're going to do is uh, kind of walk through Isaiah chapter 6 and be uh, considering some of the postures that we see, uh, particularly the, the last verse, uh, verse 8. But, but we have to kind of work our way up to verse 8. So chapter 6, verse 8 is really where we want to land. It's the posture that we want to consider most. But before we get to chapter 6, verse 8, we've got to consider several things uh, and, and what leads to the posture that we see from this man named Isaiah. Um, Isaiah has um, some problems, um, and as I mentioned before, uh, I'm guessing that we all have some kind of problem. How many of you had a problem this morning? Just give me a show of hands. The rest of you are lying. <laughs> Stop it. You're in church. Um, right? We, we, all have, <laughs> we all have some kind of problem, right? And so, so here's the deal. Um, Isaiah has, has really kind of two sets of problems, right? He's got a problem outside of himself. And he's got a problem within himself. And so this is, uh, this is really interesting to just kind of see play out, right? The very first uh, words in Isaiah chapter 6, it says, In the year that King Uzziah, what? Did you catch it? In the year that King Uzziah died. That's a major problem. Uh, not for you, but for this man named Isaiah and really for the culture that he lives in, right? This is a, a corporate need. This is a need, uh, a, a problem that, is, uh, that, that can't be ignored, right? If we think about different levels of problems, sometimes we have problems that are small and you can kind of brush them off at least for a day or for a moment, for a season. Uh, and then there are problems that are so big that they're just in your face and you can't ignore them. You can't brush them off. You can't uh, let them go for any length of time. The problem that Isaiah is facing here outside of himself is a big in-your-face kind of problem. Uh, this is a cultural problem. It's a circumstantial problem um, that this king, that Uzziah, has died. Um, it, it's also um, uh, a problem that needs just a little bit of historical context, right? So, so Uzziah uh, is, is really one of the great kings of the people of God. 
Um, uh, it, for instance, if I was like ranking them, I'd probably go King David and then King Solomon and then like, honestly, probably Uzziah. Uh, Uzziah is one of the greatest kings that the people of God ever knew. And now that king is dead. Um, Second Chronicles chapter 26 verse 4 says that Uzziah did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Did what was right in the eyes. So this is a good man. Right? This is a good king. Uh, he, he is a faithful king that does what God desires to be done. Um, he is known as an, uh, an, an effective and efficient administrator. So uh, he leads well, he leads effectively. Um, uh, he's known as a, as a, as a wise uh, kind of military mind. So he was uh, good at organizing the army and, and knowing which battles to fight and when to fight them. Um, uh, under him, the, the kingdom uh, of the people of God grew, right? They grew both in morality because he, he held up the word of God as something like, hey, we should do this. Um, uh, they also grew just, you know, in boundary, in territory. So Uzziah was one of the great kings, and now Uzziah is dead. Um, on top of that, um, uh, the world power Assyria is growing in power, and uh, they're beginning to conquer different cities. Uh, they're beginning to rise up and advance their army forward. And guess what they're coming ever closer towards? Jerusalem and the people of God. So uh, Assyria is rising up in power. They're marching closer and closer to Jerusalem. And in the meantime, um, the great leader named Uzziah is dead. Uh, one more thing to just throw on top of that is that um, Uzziah is going to be replaced or is already replaced by a man named, uh, named Ahab. Uh, sorry, Ahaz. And he is not a good king of the people of God. Um, he is not faithful. Uh, he does not uh, desire to follow and trust in God and God alone. And so um, this one king who's really good is dead and he's being replaced by an unfaithful king and an unfaithful leader. So we've just got to see here that, that Isaiah has a very real, in-your-face, outside-of-himself kind of problem. It's a corporate problem that everybody kind of faces, but it's very much uh, an issue and, and a thing that, that needs attention. And so, um, again, I uh, just want to ask you to get in your head. I'll give you like five seconds to do it. Uh, what's a problem that's outside of yourself? Everybody got one? We all have problems that are outside of ourselves. I've mentioned a few of them already. Maybe you just had a bad day at work. Maybe you got in a fight with your spouse. Maybe uh, you have a relationship that's broken. Maybe you just got cut off as you were driving on the road. But we all have problems that are outside of ourselves. Some of them small, and you can ignore it. You can move on. Some of them really big and really in your face. Um, Isaiah also has a problem that's um, within himself. So he's got a problem outside of himself. He's also got a problem inside of himself, and he recognizes that. Just listen uh, to this language, if I can find it in my notes here. Well, let me just read it to you. Isaiah chapter 6, he says this. It's down in verse 6, I think. Sorry, verse 5. He says, Woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. 
So, so this is really interesting, right? Because um, Isaiah gets this vision. He gets to see the Lord seated on the throne. And as he sees the Lord seated on the throne, he realizes that he's got a problem within himself. And it's his own sin. Uh, listen to the language, right? Um, Woe is me, I am lost. <laughs> um, boy, if I was not in church, I would uh, phrase this differently. But it's a way of saying, oh, shoot. <laughs> oh, man. Like, he recognizes that he's in big trouble. As he's looking at himself in the mirror, he sees that he is, is not uh, in living in a God-pleasing way. He recognizes that he's got sin in his life. He's, he recognizes uh, that, that he is a, an, an unclean man. He uses this language of, of unclean lips. And it's kind of interesting. Why unclean lips? Um, one commentator pointed out, and I think he's probably right, that uh, the lips are sort of an expression of life. So um, the lips tend to express what is on our hearts and what is on our mind whether we want it to or not. <laughs> Sometimes the filter just goes away on our worst days, right? And, uh, and, and when the filter goes away, what ends up happening is whatever is on our hearts and whatever is on our mind gets expressed with our lips, with our mouth. And so when he says, I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips, it's likely just an expression of saying, hey, I... I am unclean in my words. I'm unclean in my mind. I'm unclean in my heart. I am an unclean man. I have sin in my life. He's taking an honest, uh, brutally honest look at himself and saying, I've got a real problem here. So um, Isaiah has a problem outside of himself, and we can certainly relate to that. And that's kind of actually a comfortable thought for us uh, to, to, to look at the problems outside of ourselves and say, yeah, that's a problem. That, that stinks. It's a little bit harder if we're honest to take a brutally honest look in the mirror and say, I've got a real problem here. I'm an unclean man. What's in my mind and what's in my heart aren't in line with God. And, and sometimes my filter goes away and I express that with my, with my lips. So uh, we could say that Isaiah is very aware of his problems, external and internal. And then what we see uh, in this uh, story is, is, is really two solutions. And the first solution is very cool because it, it matches the, the first problem, right, that Isaiah has. Uh, the first problem is um, in the year that King Uzziah died. And then what's the solution that follows? I saw the Lord seated on the, on the throne. So um, uh, the people might be staring at a vacant throne, and a vacant earthly throne. And God, in his grace and in his mercy, just see this. See this um, he shows Isaiah, no, 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 you're not without leadership. You're not without a king. In fact, you've got the best king. You have the only king that you need. It's an incredible word of grace. It's an incredible moment of grace because Isaiah is not like on his knees saying, hey God, we need a leader. Will you send us a leader? Hey God, what are we gonna do now? No, he just, he, he just throws out the problem. In the year the King Uzziah died, and God in his grace and mercy just gives him this vision of a God who is seated on the throne. 
And so we just want to kind of poke into this a little bit because these are, these are powerful words that we see here, right? I see the, the Lord sitting upon a throne, and that throne is high and lifted up. It's a way of saying that the, that the throne of God is above every other throne. So there might be other earthly thrones, but no throne compares to the throne of God. Um, it's like a, uh, a, a, like a ranking, right? Like God is number one and every other king is going to be number 60 or less. I don't know. I'm just uh, throwing out a number, right? So the throne of God is high and lifted up and the train of his robe fills the temple. A very interesting thing happens when people get to see this, uh, a picture or a vision of God. It happens pretty often in scripture, actually. And, and usually what happens is they only describe the ground under God. And it's usually some kind of blue, some kind of blue crystal ocean-like thing underneath God. In this case, Isaiah's eyes get just above the ground level, and he gets to see like the feet of God, the train of his robe, the very bottom of the, of the robe of God. It's kind of Isaiah's way of saying, what I'm looking at is so magnificent and so completely other and so incredibly distinct that I can't even describe anything above his feet. It's so incredible. I saw the Lord sitting on the throne. The throne was above every other throne, and the train of the robe of God filled the temple. It's just beautiful language. And then, and then we get this, uh, the, 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 this stuff about the seraphim, and, and there's a lot of question marks about this uh, uh, and, and what the seraphim actually are, but what, what we want to see is, is what they're doing and what they're saying. Um, what, what they're doing is they're covering their face and they're covering their body. So, so they're covering their face uh, because uh, what they are circling around and what they could look at, God, the Father Almighty, uh, sitting on the throne, right? Uh, they, they, they can't look at that for any length of time. And so with their wings, they cover their face. And they recognize that, that, that they shouldn't be exposed in front of this God, and so they cover their bodies because the thing that is seated on the throne is so magnificent and so completely other that they just recognize a covering is needed. And then they say, holy, holy, holy is, is the Lord of hosts. And this is a fascinating language. You've probably heard me uh, kind of talk about it before. Um, uh, holy, right, means distinct. It means different. It means other than. Um, and, uh, and when you uh, see a triple repetition like this, it's kind of a way of emphasizing the emphasis. So they say it, and then they emphasize it, and then they emphasize the emphasis. It's kind of like a, we might put something in bold and italics and underline it, and they just repeat it three times, right? Holy, 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 this God is really, really, really different or distinct or different than every other God, than every other king, than every other helper that we might face. This is not just your normal everyday leader. This is the leader. Um, uh, later on in the text, right, uh, Isaiah says, I have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. The Lord of hosts. Um, the second uh, solution that we see um, is, is a fascinating solution because um, it matches that second problem. Remember, the first problem was a problem outside of himself, and the second uh, problem is a problem inside of himself, and, and God has an answer or a solution for that problem as well. 
And so we've got to just uh, return and see, see this, right? Uh, uh, chapter 6, verse 6. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. And again, just see how gracious this is. Um, Isaiah has just exclaimed, woe is me, I am done, right? I know that I'm an unclean man. This is not like a helpful, like, if I confess my sin, I trust that Jesus will forgive me. This isn't, hey, I'm asking you, God, for forgiveness. This is just a, oh, shoot, I am done. I don't deserve to be in the presence of this God. I have no business seeing what I'm seeing right now. I have no business being in connection or in relationship with God because of my unclean lips and my unclean life. And God, in his grace, just sends this seraphim with a burning coal. Um, uh, he's just sending a gift to this man named Isaiah who knows that he is unclean and has a problem within himself. Um, this burning coal is kind of interesting, right? Because uh, there's absolutely uh, really nothing, uh, how do you say it, like inherently uh, helpful about this coal. Uh, there's nothing special about this coal. Um, it's just a, a piece of coal from the altar of God, right, that, that, that is taken and, uh, and it touches the lips of this man named Isaiah. And, and here's what's interesting, right, is that, is that this is like so miraculous and so mysterious. Um, because first of all, um, how does the burning coal not hurt him? This is a miraculous, mysterious thing that God is doing. Uh, this is something that we can't explain, that, that we can't fully comprehend. Um, God sends this burning coal and it touches his what? His lips which is the very thing that he said, oh, I've got a problem here. I am not good. I'm a man of unclean lips. God sends this concrete, tangible thing uh, that's going to touch his lips, and then he hears the words, right, that his sin is forgiven, uh, that his guilt is taken away, and that his sin is atoned for. So it's a miracle uh, that he isn't burned, and it's a mystery how all of this works, but, uh, you know, I mean, why couldn't God just say, hey, I forgive you? I think God doesn't just say, hey, I forgive you, because he knows that Isaiah probably needs a little bit more. He, he needs to sense it. He needs to feel it. He needs to see it. And so God, in his grace, doesn't just say, hey, yeah, you're forgiven. You're good. Now he sends this burning coal to touch his lips and give him a sensory experience that he could know without a shadow of a doubt, hey, you are 100% forgiven. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. Uh, pretty cool that we can relate to that. Yeah. Um, Jesus has given us this great gift of this thing that gets to touch our lips this sensory experience that we would know without a shadow of a doubt, hey, you have been forgiven. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. Um, uh, why didn't he just announce forgiveness from the cross or from the empty tomb and say, hey, you're good? No, because he knows that we need something more. Uh, he knows that we too often stray and we need to be forgiven in a fresh new way. And so he gives us this great gift. 
Um, he gives us this great gift uh, that touches our lips and gives us that certainty of forgiveness. Uh, by the way, um, we have the same solution to the, uh, to, to the first external problem that Isaiah had. So pretty interesting, right? We can relate to the second solution, the burning coal that touches his lips. We can also relate uh, to a vision of God. Let me see if I can find it in my notes. But uh, Acts chapter 7 that we're going to look at next week, Acts chapter 7, oh, I'm not going to be able to find it. Acts chapter 7, a man named Stephen, uh, this is after Jesus has uh, risen from the dead and ascended into heaven. Um, uh, he has this vision of God, and where is God seated? On the throne in heaven. Um, the book of Hebrews chapter 1 tells us that, uh, that, that Jesus ascended into heaven, and he is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. Um, Romans chapter 8 tells us that after Jesus finished his work, um, he uh, ascended into heaven and is at the right hand of God. Uh, and so, so the same solution that Isaiah had is our solution today. And so I, I just kind of come back to that first question and just say, how come we just have this, this posture? I can't help but think uh, maybe the problem is, uh, is, is twofold. It always takes two to tango, right? Um, maybe we as a church just haven't done a good enough job of saying, hey, don't you forget that you've got a resurrected Lord and Savior and he's seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. Maybe we get too distracted by too many other things. Um, and I say that uh, with self-admission. Uh, I say that on behalf of our church body. I say that on behalf of a lot of churches everywhere. Uh, running a church is hard, right? We all desire for a church to grow, and so we, 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 we get on board and we try to say, hey, let's do this and let's do this and let's do this, and then we forget to just proclaim and celebrate the fact that we've got a, a God who's seated on the throne. There's nothing more powerful than him. And so I think that sometimes it's our fault as a church that, that we don't proclaim and celebrate that we've got a God who is absolutely seated on the throne. And there's nothing more powerful than him. Uh, it's maybe on us that we don't uh, let that be the thing that we proclaim as we leave this place. Uh, we're more focused on morality and more focused on, hey, make sure you do this or don't do that when instead we should be proclaiming a, a, a Lord who is crucified, risen, and ascended into heaven and ruling and reigning over all things. On the other hand, um, it's probably your fault too. It's probably your fault and my fault that we don't just do what Isaiah does and stand up and say, hey, I'm here, send me. Because that's what Isaiah does. Isaiah sees the Lord seated on the throne, and he knows that there's nothing more important than that. And so he says, I'm not afraid. Send me. I, I, I don't need to be comfortable. Send me. I, I don't need to do anything. Send me. And he stands up on his feet. And notice that God didn't even ask a question. Hey, Isaiah, will you go? No, God's just like talking amongst himself in heaven with the council that we talked about last week. 
And Isaiah just like overhears the conversation. And because of what he has seen, because his eyes are on the, the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings, he says, send me. So it takes two to tango. And I think the problem is that maybe we need to talk more about this Lord who is seated on the throne. But it also takes you being willing to stand up and say, here I am, send me. So I thought we would just pray today and we would ask God uh, to open up our eyes, to see him in a new way, and to send us wherever he chooses. Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, we believe and we trust that you are still very much seated on that throne. Um, that you are above and beyond all other kings. That, uh, that you are distinct and different from every other kind of help that we could ever possibly have. You are truly all that we need. And today we lift our eyes towards you. Uh, we know that we have problems outside of ourselves. <laughs> we know that we have problems within ourselves. And um, all those things we just bring and lay at your feet. We know that you are above and over each one of those problems. And, uh, and we trust that you are the perfect solution that you are working out the solution for each one of those problems. And that you've already forgiven us and continue to forgive us for the problems within ourselves. Uh, that you'll show us how you are working out and fixing and taking care of all the other problems that we have. And Jesus, would you help us to just point towards you? Um, point other hearts and other minds towards you seated on the throne. And would you lift up our eyes so that we might have great confidence and trust that you are there, that you are above all. Jesus, would you please um, change our posture? Would you help us to stand up? Would you help us to say, here I am, send me. I'm willing, I'm ready. <laughs> because of you. In the name of Jesus, all God's people said, amen.